Good morning to you all. Good morning, Dana. If you would, please turn with me back to Mark chapter 7. We started in a section last week, and we're going to be finishing it up this week in verses 14 to 23. Jesus encounters the Pharisees. So if you would, please turn to Mark 7. Perhaps you've had the experience of driving down the road and seeing something on the side of the road that caught your fancy. In fact, this morning I heard about a motorcycle that got bought that way. And, uh, but, but imagine you're driving down the road and you, you see a car sitting there in somebody's front lawn and it's got a little sign on there and it says $100 for sale for 100 bucks. Can you imagine your luck? You found a car for $100. Well, you pull over and you, you start looking it over uh, and you realize it's missing a side mirror. And it's in need of some wiper blades. And for that matter, the windshield is cracked. And the tires are completely bald. And it's got some pretty heavy rusting going on. Uh, and on the tag where it says $100, towards the bottom and in smaller print, it says DNR. And you know that that doesn't stand for the Department of Natural Resources. It means does not run. But a car for $100, how can you beat that? So you lay your Benjamin Franklin down on the hood and you come back later and you drag it home. Uh, you get it back to your house and, and you start to fix it on it. You know, you, I don't know, maybe, maybe you change the windshield wipers. and <laughs> You get the rattle can out and you, you put some paint on it, you know, cover up some of that rust. Right? Oh, you go, you go all out and you change the tires on it, right? And then you sit down in your car and you put the key in and you turn that baby over, and nothing. It doesn't start. What's the matter? You put all that work into it. Why isn't it running on you? Well, perhaps, perhaps you didn't get to the heart of the matter. Maybe you didn't even pop the hood to look under and see what's in there. Uh, you spent some work, but you didn't get to the really important matters. Now, I know that all of you are smarter than to do that. I know you wouldn't do that with a car, uh, but sadly, many of our neighbors treat their relationship with God that way. Many people clean up a, a few things on the outside and then maybe find some confidence that maybe everything's all right. Some people never see the need for Jesus Christ because they never understood the heart of the matter. Some Christians don't grow in their faith because they're really slow to embrace the heart of the matter. This has been said a lot, of, a lot of ways here. But the heart of the matter is that the heart is the matter. The heart of the matter is that the heart is the matter. The human heart has a big problem. We're going to see that as we read our text today. See what Jesus says here. We're going to start in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Jesus says, uh, in a bit here, but it says, verse 14, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that, by going into him, can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, 
but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. And when we come into texts like this, passages like this that set a little heavy on us, Lord, we, we again say thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. And pray that you would teach us through your word, that you would help us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to give us joy in yourself. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has a fine way of cutting to the heart of the matter, quite literally sometimes. And as Mark puts this episode before us, continuing on the heels of the last passage that we just saw, uh, I think this morning, through God's word, God is calling us to accept that sin comes from within. Accept that sin comes from within. And I think that's going to flow out in two additional calls for us. First, to fight the enemy within. And then as we look to this whole section, we'll... See, maybe the call to put food in its place. First, let's fight the enemy within. Let's see that. Now, last week, we saw Jesus rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, they had challenged the fact that some of his disciples were eating with hands that weren't washed. Uh, and Jesus turns right around and he calls them hypocrites. He shows them how their tradition actually contradicts the very word of God. As Isaiah prophesied about them, Jesus says that they worship God with their lips. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're worshiping God externally. They're good on paper, they're good on their lips, they're good in the way they look, but their heart is far from God. Jesus challenges them. As we continue in our verses today, this, the idea of what's inside versus what's outside, that's going to continue to be an important theme. You see, the Pharisees thought that their major problem, the danger in the world around them, was outside of themselves. Uh, they thought that they were good on the inside. They thought that contamination mainly came from out there, and they were good on the inside. They, they thought that they had to uh, protect the purity within by shutting out the impurity outside. But they got it wrong, as we see in our text today. In fact, I think uh, perhaps the majority of people since... Humanity's fall in the garden has gotten it wrong on this. Our problem is not primarily out there. The human threat, the human problem is not primarily outside of us. Our problem is first and foremost in here. This is where our first problem is. It's a matter of the heart. After Jesus calls the crowd to himself, back in verse 15, I'll read it again. It says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not what goes into you that makes you dirty, it's what comes out. Before I move on, I just want to mention if you're reading along, you see maybe in your Bible it goes from verse 15 to verse 17. No verse 16 there. If you're reading the KJV, you've got that there. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. Where did that go? 
Uh, well, I don't have time this morning to go in depth on it. I'll write something up and send it out this week in the email uh, on, on where verse 16 went to. But as we press on here, Jesus calls, uh, says this to the crowd, and then he, we see verse 17, he's, he's back in the house, and he's talking with his disciples. And they, they get around to asking him, what did you mean by that? They do that often, right? As we see in parables, Jesus tells a parable, and the disciples wait till they're by Jesus secretly, and now, what did you mean by that? And Jesus seems surprised that they didn't get it. He says, are you also without understanding? Uh, I just have to comment here that throughout Mark's gospel, we've seen this already, we'll see it again, uh, Mark emphasizes multiple times that the disciples aren't quite getting it. Uh, you know, even in the miracle where Jesus walks on the sea, Mark gives us a view into the disciples' hearts. This is Mark 6, 51 to 52. It says, And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So on the sea, Jesus calms the storm, walks on the water, and, and they don't get it. Uh, and Mark says that they didn't understand about the loaves, which was a previous miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously. They weren't connecting the dots. They weren't getting it. There was something they weren't understanding. It's not that they didn't follow Jesus or that they didn't believe in him. It's that they weren't quite getting it. Now, they were going to understand Christ in time, especially after he dies and rises again and after he sends his Holy Spirit. They're going to get it. But right now, they're still kind of puzzling along. They're, they're trying to get it here. So Jesus explains the parable to them. He doesn't leave them wondering. He explains it to them. He says that, that things can't come into a man from outside and defile him. And of course, he's particularly referring to food here. Uh, and Jesus gives us a little anatomy lesson here, just in case we need it. You know, when you eat food and it goes into your mouth, it goes into your stomach. And Jesus just gives us a little clarification here. The route doesn't go off over to your heart. Uh, food doesn't go into your heart. If it does, you've got real problems. Uh, food goes into your stomach and it's expelled, Jesus says. Now, that's a polite way to translate it. Uh, in the Greek, Jesus literally says it goes from the stomach out into the latrine. So there's the, the end of anatomy 101 with Jesus. Uh, but we don't want to miss the point. Why is he telling us this? He's saying that it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out. It's what comes up and out of you that defiles you. Jesus says that evil and sin come out of the heart of man. Jesus lists 12 things, all sinful, that come out of the heart of man. And it's not an exhaustive list by any means. Three of these are sexual in nature, sensuality, sexual morality, adultery. Four are, are kind of more general. We've got wickedness and foolishness and pride and evil thoughts. Maybe a little more general. Two to three of them are related to, you might say, greed. Uh, there's envy. There's covetousness. Even to the point of theft, he mentions. And a couple of them relate to words and how we use our words. Slander and deceit. Where does sexual sin come from? It comes from the heart. Where does folly and pride come from? It comes from the heart. Where does an envious and covetous craving for what other people have come from? It comes from the heart. Jesus concludes in verse 23. He says, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Defilement comes from within. 
Now that is the opposite message that you will hear from most religions and from the motivational messages of our society. I mean all day long, feel good and popular entertainment says, think positive, be yourself, you do you, believe in yourself, you are the answer, follow your heart. I mean every Disney movie from beginning to end has that basic message, follow your heart, on and on it goes. If we let these things sink in, we might be tempted to think that our biggest problem is out there. We might think, I'm all right on the inside, but everything and everybody else is my problem. That's my biggest problem. Jesus says that it is out of the heart that evil comes. That is such a radical message, but it's true. Jesus, the Son of God, said this while he walked this earth with us. I mean, just to get a, a feeling for that, I mean, imagine your favorite politician or your favorite actor, somebody really, really famous, comes to your hometown. And he spends a couple hours there. Uh, and his conclusion at the end of it is this place is a dump. He goes on to TV and says, wow, there was nothing good to eat there. It might be a little discouraging, maybe a little embarrassing. But do you see what the Son of God has said about the human heart? God enters into our world, meets us face to face in his Son, Jesus Christ, and tells us that our hearts are sinful. That's a painful word to hear, and yet it's a merciful word to hear. Jesus wasn't mainly about making us feel good about ourselves. Yes, he brings the remedy. We'll see that. Uh, but he's here to tell us the truth. But this isn't anything new to God. Jesus isn't saying anything here that wasn't already told us in the word of God hundreds of years before this. God revealed through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Even the best king of ancient Israel, David, concluded of himself in Psalm 51, 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, David's not saying that he was the product of an illicit relationship. You know, he's the last child in line of his, his family. Uh, he's saying that his sinful nature runs all the way back to his conception. We are all born with a nature that is bent on sinning. And because of that, we do, in fact, commit sins. See, the, the Pharisees and our culture get it wrong at this point. Uh, it's not as if we're naturally okay on the inside, and our biggest problem is an external threat. Our biggest problem is that our hearts are sinful. And because of that, we do have an ultimate external problem. Our sin, human sin, the natural state of the heart, puts us at odds with God. Our sin is a personal attack on the God who made us for himself. Now, God's not threatened by our sin. It's not if he's worried that he's in any sort of danger. On the contrary, it's, it's us who are in danger on account of our sin. The biggest existential question in life is not, is there life on other planets? A lot of people are asking that. A lot of people are curious. There's uh, new telescopes that show us things we've never seen before. And for some people, that's just the biggest question. Is there life out there? You know, is there life on other planets? I don't think that's the biggest existential question we can ask about ourselves. Um, another question people might ask is, is, is my life going to amount to anything? Will it have meaning? Am I going to make a mark on this planet? Well, it might be important, but that's not the biggest question. Others might ask, will my, all my hopes and dreams come true? And that feels like an important question, but that's not the most important question. 
think that the biggest question that every human being will face is this. Am I right with God? Am I right with my maker? The panic of that question will confront every human being as they stand before God's judgment throne. At that point, every excuse will melt away. People won't be able to point fingers at other people at that point. We're going to have to answer for ourselves. And what are we going to say for ourselves in that that moment? If our defense starts with anything that we've done, or we've done for God, or kind things we've done for other people, then we're in big trouble. Our defense on that day can't start with us. Our only hope in the judgment, the only hope we need, is Jesus Christ. His sinless life, his perfect obedience, his death for us, his resurrection in which we rise, that's our hope in the judgment. That's all the hope we need. If the heart is the problem, then Jesus is the answer. Jesus does a merciful thing in telling us that our heart is full of sin because he gives us an opportunity to examine our hearts and repent, to cast ourselves on him in faith and be saved. Jesus isn't merely saying, you guys are a bunch of rats and I'm out of here. No, I guess he could have done that. But he, he went on to give himself for the sinful people that he made. He dies, and he rises again, and he invites us to come. And when we accept the truth that sin comes from within, it's not merely, yes, there are temptations out there, there's no doubt about that. I'm not saying there's not problems out there or temptations out there, but it's the heart that craves sin. And when we accept that and find forgiveness in Jesus, that changes the way we look at the world we're in. Changes the way we live. You know, it's hard to believe this gospel and then live as if we're right in every situation. If we accept what Jesus says about our sin, then that should make us more sensitive about our hearts. When you accept this reality, then you can turn, you can fight against your sin with the help of the Holy Spirit rather than just make excuses for it. And just think about the way that this could change the way we do relationships, whether with spouse or other people in our lives or roommates. Uh, if we know that we're so capable of sin, then we should be quick to examine our hearts when we have disagreements. Now, is it possible for one person to be completely right in a disagreement and the other person completely in the wrong? Well, of course it's possible. Yeah, it's possible, um, but it's often not the case. You know, even in cases where we may be right, we might respond in a way that's not right. Just this last week, I felt like I was 100% right in a disagreement. Uh, and I became impatient and angry with my wife because I was so stinking right. I was right. Whether or not I was right, my heart was wrong. This is what sin can do to you. You can be both right and wrong at the same time because of your sin. So I had to go and I had to apologize about my heart. Whether or not I was right in the first place, my wife may have a different opinion. (laughs) I want to ask you another question this morning. If you're not fighting against your sin, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of God's grace 
is that we can be brutally honest about our own sin. We can confess it, turn from it, and fight it, knowing that we are forgiven freely in Jesus Christ by faith and that he has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to yearn to do right. We don't want to take the road of the Pharisees when it comes to sin. We don't want to treat sin as an external matter, something that we can just uh, block out by putting tall enough fences up. We want to accept Jesus' assessment of our hearts, and we want to accept him. And then we want to walk in the new reality he's created for us, in us. As those in Christ, we should walk by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we should put to death the deeds of the body. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. So we can fight the enemy within. We don't have to make excuses for remaining sin in our lives, and we shouldn't do that. We can and we should fight it. Before we move on to our next section in Mark for next week, I want to go to one more thing here. Uh, perhaps we could summarize this second point by the call to, to put food in its place. We've been looking at food in the last section, and this one here, it's come into view, so I want to spend a couple minutes on that. The Pharisees and the scribes charged Jesus with having some disciples who don't wash their hands when they eat. Rather than just dealing with washing, Jesus is going to extend his comments to deal with food as well. Jesus tells us that food that has been eaten doesn't enter the heart. It's got other destinations. While the main point of this is Jesus is drawing out what actually defiles us, we don't want to miss what Jesus is saying about food here. He says food doesn't defile us. Dare I say that food is an external matter. Food is not a matter of eternal consequences. Now, we live in a society that has, uh, after having rejected God, strives to find its purpose in anything and everything else. Some people in our society have replaced religious observance with dietary observance of one type or another. Having lived in downtown Minneapolis for more than a decade, I can tell you that people get religious about food. Other people, a different side of it, have replaced church attendance in their lives with gym membership. Uh, no community in the church, rather they, they find their community elsewhere. Maybe it's at the gym. Now, uh, I'm not naysaying being healthy, please hear that. By all means, eat well and exercise. But we want the Bible to drive our thinking about food, uh, not, not our context around us. How do we think biblically about food? In the time I have left, I want to hit just a few high points in the Bible. There's so much that the Bible says about food, I can't possibly say everything or even get close to it. I just want to say a few things, especially as it intersects with our passage here. Uh, I, want to, I want to point out a few things. We can start, if we're going to look at what the Bible says, we want to start in Genesis. Always want to start there. Uh, we see from Genesis that God created man. And God created man to eat. You know, we're not God. He made us creatures. That means we eat. And we sleep. Uh, we do creature things. And I think from that, we should see that, that we shouldn't feel guilty every time we eat. Uh, that was God's idea for us, after all, to be creatures who eat. Moving on in Genesis, we see that uh, Noah, when God calls Noah and tells him to bring these animals onto the ark, God distinguishes between clean and unclean animals. Uh, now, at this point, none of these animals are being eaten. It's not uh, a dietary distinction. I don't know exactly what that was based on at that point, but... There is a distinction there. 
And when God does give animals to Noah to eat in Genesis chapter 9, he doesn't say, don't eat the unclean animals. Chapter 9, verse 3 of Genesis, he says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. The only thing that's prohibited is animals' blood. Under the law of Moses, the people of Israel are prohibited from eating unclean animals, birds, fish, insects. Um, So we do see at that point there is a restriction in what the people of Israel can eat. Also related to Israel and related to food, uh, a lot of the holy days in Israel's life were around the ingathering of harvests. Uh, Food was a big deal. And there we see that food was a a reason to give gratitude to God over. Uh, It was a, a thing of thanksgiving. So through the Old Testament, we see restriction. We see gratitude for a good gift that God has given. Under the New Covenant, in our passage here, we see Christ removes the stipulations of clean and unclean food that we saw under the Law of Moses. In our text today, Mark says that thereby he declared all foods clean. Mark makes a comment there that in this he's declaring all foods clean. Now it doesn't appear that the disciples start eating pork or bacon that day because when we get on to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, God gives a vision to Peter. You'll recall perhaps he has this vision where this food comes down in a blanket. There's animals and creeping things, basically everything under the sun of animals and God says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, this is like the wild game breakfast here. Uh, and, and Peter says, no, I, I haven't, I've never eaten anything unclean in all my days. And this vision happens three times. And God's response to Peter is, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Now, of course, tied up in Acts there, this is about the gospel going out to the Gentiles. But in that, uh, we also see that God is removing these stipulations uh, regarding clean and unclean foods and what can be eaten there. The matter of food continued to be an issue in the church. We see tension in the church in places like Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. Uh, There were big fights over food in the early church. Uh, For instance, some felt that they shouldn't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, especially those Gentiles who'd come out of a, a pagan context they, they didn't want anything to do with the food that came out of the, the temples. You know, they'd get, the meat would get sold in the marketplace. They didn't want anything to do with that. Others knew that an idol was nothing and knew that the meat was fine. And so like normal human beings, they got into a fight over it together. Some reacted in pride and others reacted in judgment. And Paul's encouragement in both those passages was for humility and selfless love together. So a lot more can be said. I just breezed through that. I didn't even give an in-depth study of those passages. Just hit a few high points. I want to have a couple takeaways related to food here for us this morning. First, as we look at the Bible, food is a gift from God. Food is a gift. We should eat with thanksgiving. Food was God's idea and we should thank him for it. And also, as a gift, we should look to him for it. You know, we need to trust God regarding food. Jesus instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know, with talks earlier this summer about food shortages, we can get pretty anxious and understandably. You know, that that kind of stuff hits close to home, right? But we don't want to forget that God is the ultimate giver of food. We don't want to put confidence in our ability to store up enough food, nor do we want to put confidence 
in the ability of stores to provide food. We don't want to put our confidence uh, in ourselves or in systems. We want to put our confidence ultimately in God. We never know what's going to happen, so we've got to put our trust in Him. We want to be good stewards of what we have and good stewards in the day we live. If you need to make preparations for that, you go ahead. We want to trust our Father in all of it. Second thing we can take related to food here is that food does not commend us to God and it doesn't condemn us. Our final judgment will not be determined on what we eat. 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, this is speaking of meat sacrificed to idol, Paul says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and we are no better off if we do. Food is important, but it's not ultimate. From an eternal perspective, food is an external matter. Paul says in Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Next, third and, and last point here, food is an opportunity to love others. Now, this is certainly true in terms of hospitality and generosity. You can use your food to love people, but it's also true in what we might choose not to eat sometimes. Just as the Christian is free to eat any food, in love, we can submit our food rights for the good of others. That's what Paul is telling us about in Romans 14, verses 13 to 15. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul wasn't going to use his liberty to destroy the weak conscience of his brother. At times, Paul said, uh, Paul abstained from certain foods out of love for others. Well, when it comes to food, I've probably said too much and certainly have said not enough. Uh, as we focus on these internal matters of the heart, we want to mention what, what we see here related to food. That's enough for now. We want to see that Jesus calls us that defilement doesn't come from outside, it comes from inside. If we're going to fight something, we should fight our own sin. If we're going to do that, we need to accept what Jesus tells us about sin. That the source of sin is from within. Well, as the men prepare for communion and Elizabeth comes to play, let's go to prayer together.